This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today I'm joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. How are you doing? Really good, mate. How are you? Very good, thanks. Before we talk about the big stories of the week and the week to come, what happened in the markets today? So we're ending the week slightly positively in the markets, but to be honest, it's just been a choppy week as a whole, and I don't think that's really changed based on what we're seeing today. Uh, we've kind of got two schools of thought here in the markets. On the one hand, there's optimism because earnings season is off to a better start than was expected, and that's giving these markets a little bit of a lift. But on the other hand, there is the downside risks that are still very much evident in the markets, which is making investors a little bit nervous. That includes higher inflation, uh, which is squeezing people's incomes and leading to higher interest rates being priced in which is going to have a similar effect we also have things like the energy crisis going into the winter period we're seeing rising covid rates here in the uk that's expected to continue across the northern hemisphere going into the winter and then there's other downside risks for the markets as well which is just weighing on sentiment a little bit and what that means is we're just in this very choppy period in the market so well Europe's ended mostly higher uh, today. It's not really changing the narrative that we've seen over the course of the week. And you can almost see that evidence in the US at the time of recording as well. We've got the Dow, which is slightly in positive negative territory, the S&P slightly in negative territory. And really the only place we're seeing some kind of significant moves is the Nasdaq. And that's because we're seeing tech stocks taking a little bit of a hit today. Uh, and that comes on the back of those snap uh, results that we saw uh, yesterday, Snap, um, talking about the downside risks to their potential earnings uh, in the near term, the two things that really stood out for them, which is things that's had their knock-on effects for other stocks to do with these global supply chain issues, which you wouldn't expect to have a big impact on these tech names. But the thing it does have an impact on is the advertisers who are responsible for such a huge part of their revenue. So the supply chain issues is having an effect on their business uh, and their ability to sell their products. And that therefore has an impact on how much advertising they want to buy from these companies. So that was one of the things which drove Snap shares down heavily, heavily overnight. And that's had a knock-on effect as well to things like Facebook and Alphabet and Twitter. And the other thing from their results as well, which had a knock-on effect to tech stocks as well, is they're referencing to the changes that Apple's made um, in terms of data privacy, which again is having negative implications as well in terms of their ability to advertise with people having a choice on whether they want to uh, see this advertising. So that's having a knock-on effect as well to these uh, many of these tech firms as well, which now face greater challenges as a result. So that's leading the Nasdaq down a little bit more of a negative route today, but more broadly speaking across the markets. It's just choppiness, which we've really seen continue throughout. Okay. Meanwhile, on this side of the Atlantic, the Bank of England's new chief economist has warned that UK inflation is likely to hit or surpass 5% by early next year. And this, of course, has increased speculation of an interest rate hike in just under a couple of weeks on the 4th of November. I think most people in the markets think that there is going to be a, a rise to 0.25%. Would you be in agreement with that? Yeah, either in November or December. What what he has suggested is that that November meeting is live. So maybe he's looked at the... Uh, maybe the Bank of England's been looking at the market pricing and suggested that November's not being taken as seriously as it potentially should be. That's not to say that they really are going to raise interest rates, and there's plenty of good reasons for them not to. Uh, for one, they won't have the data uh, to hand at that point about 
the impact that the end of the furlough scheme is going to have had um, on the labour market. And I think that's a very important thing to have to hand when you're making these decisions. Um, and then also, like we are seeing a, a, a surge now in COVID cases. That's not yet filtering through to high numbers of hospitalizations and fatalities. Um, but given that we are in the surge uh, period of the in terms of cases, I think the Bank of England uh, would be wise to have that data to hand. Now, they're not raising interest rates because they are um, optimistic and bullish about the economy. They're doing it because they are concerned about inflation or what inflation could become. I think the general consensus view is still that it is transitory. How long it's going to last is still uh, an issue because the longer this goes on, the less transitory it becomes, not just because of, in terms of time, but in terms of people's inflation expectations, in terms of their salary demands. And if we start to see people demanding higher wages and we start seeing companies more willing to put prices up because consumers are expecting are expecting it and accepting of it, um, then that is something that then stops being transitory and becomes far more uh, permanent. And that's something that I think the Bank of England's concerned about, like many central banks are uh, around the world. Uh, and that's why we are... Um, expecting these this rate hike so it's not really just that one rate hike that people are really focused on it's how many that's going to become if you're if the bank of england's going to be raising interest rates continually over the course of the next 12 months or so and we're going to see interest rates above one percent at the end of next year then that is uh, potentially an issue because even though i know we've spoken previously about the fact that these are not high interest rates historically but it's the pace at which you raise them and whether the economy is in a position to be able to withstand a move like that and what we can see in the markets right now especially from a UK perspective, is that we've seen that the expectations for rates to go to 1.2% by the end of next year, but then dip dip below. That suggests that what the markets are factoring in is the Bank of England is going to be too hasty in its rate hiking cycle and going to be forced to reverse course because of the negative implications that that therefore has on the economy, which forces them to cut interest rates again, either because the economy is struggling or that inflation is not... Um, withstanding is not is not going to remain high and is going to dip again and it's going to force them to cut interest rates again so that actually indicates a policy mistake from the bank of england so that's something that we've got to keep an eye on i think the markets are pricing in too much and i don't think the bank of england will ultimately go that far but that's what they're see we're seeing at the moment and it's something that we're seeing really across the board um, with regards to central banks because inflation is now going high enough for long enough that it makes them very uncomfortable and they will have their eyes on some other data. I mean, we've seen retail sales figures out today, which fell for the fifth month in a row in September. Sales dipping by 0.2%. This is in the UK, of course, that down to the Office for National Statistics. So that wouldn't uh, necessarily encourage them to lift rates, would it? Because, again, you're going to get stagflation if you're not careful. And uh, the other interesting thing to note regarding rates today, Craig, and over the last few days, Bank of Russia uh, raised its interest rates above expectation. But on the other side of the coin, Turkey has cut its rates. So on, on the first point of retail sales, I think it's really interesting that it does highlight the fact that there is still that weakness, underlying weakness and under, underlying caution really from people to spend money in the UK. Savings rate seems to be higher than normal. So that does point to a behavioural shift in the UK and that's not going to help the economy move from this kind of sluggish pace of growth that we're seeing at the minute. But it also does reflect the fact that over the course of the last four or five months, we have seen the economy reopen. So we've seen spending shift from 
uh, retail sales from the, so from the retail sector into into services so things like restaurants and pubs etc um, so that I think that also represents a bit of a shift here so I think we will see it move back going into the winter as people um, maybe become a little bit more cautious but also the holiday season as well I think is going to uh, trigger that as well and also last month we had the fuel crisis where um, people were queuing up pumps where we were running out because of this silly hysteria that we were seeing and I think that changed behaviours as well because people maybe were less willing to get in the car and go shopping or go uh, to places and spend their money because they were looking after the fuel which they had because they know it was hard to come by. So I think that probably had an influence on behaviour towards the end of the month as well, which weighed on the actual data. In terms of the other central banks, we, I mean, we have seen, it's been quite really quite interesting with those two central banks towards the back end of this week uh, so we've got the bank the, the central bank of russia which is uh, which raised interest rates by 75 basis points market expectations for about 25 or 50 uh, and they did this because inflation is running high um, and we're seeing more like domestic and um, uh, and external inflation factors um, for russia uh, as well which is what's dri driving this concern but it's raising uh, it's expected to rise by the end of this year to around double their inflation target. So they're trying to very much nip this in the bud early. And they've actually said they could raise interest rates uh, again later this year, maybe 100 basis points again, uh, in order to try and get to grips with inflation, uh, which is expected to, I think, run close to uh, 8%. Um, so that's something that they are concerned about and they want to very much get to grips with this earlier than the markets had expected them to. On the other side, you've got Turkey, where there is clearly a massive political influence on the central bank. We've known this for some time. They've sacked, President Erdogan has, has sacked three central bank governors, I think it is, in the last two and a half years because of it. They were either um, not getting to grips with the inflation problem by trying to appease them or trying to raise interest rates to try and get to grips with the inflation issue, uh, which he doesn't like because it has a negative implications for the economy. Um, uh, or doing so either of those too slowly. And he was starting to lose patience reportedly with the current central bank governor who re who replaced the previous one back in March. Uh, and it seems that he's responded. So President Erdogan, for context, believes that higher interest rates stoke inflation and lower interest rates uh, reduce inflation. That very much runs counter to the, the, the general theory, which is higher interest rates bring inflation down and vice versa. So he is trying to influence his central bank governors and many have resisted, but it seems that the current central bank governor has not resisted. He initially came in suggesting that he would ensure that interest rates remain above inflation in order to try and bring that inflation rate down. Well, currently inflation is running at 19 0.58%. They reduced interest rates at the last meeting uh, to 18% from 19%. And markets were expecting them to do the same again, not because it's the right decision, but because um, but because they knew where this trend was moving. Uh, and because the Central Bank of Turkey, uh, the, the CBRT had said that they are focused more on core inflation and where they expect core inflation to be. Um, and then they cut interest rates by 2% again at this meeting. So what they've effectively done is shattered their own credibility. And they've told everyone in the markets, we are politically... Um, we are being politically guided and we are not acting independently in that grey area between government and central bank doesn't exist. Um, and what that does is by shattering their credibility here, they've triggered a run on the uh, on the lira. The lira fell more than 3% yesterday, which is a huge move in, in currency markets. It's now at a record low against the US dollar. It's off more than 1% uh, again today. And the, it could potentially fall much further now that it's become so clear that what they're effectively doing. 
while other central banks also believe inflation is is temporary, they're not taking a gamble on it. They they are they are saying that this is their belief and they're therefore allowing a little extra leeway. The CBRT is very much taking a gamble on it and saying we think it's temporary and therefore we're going to cut interest rates and hope for the best. And the markets very much don't like that. So I think what could come now could potentially be capital outflows from Turkey, which will exacerbate the lira move. We've seen this before and it looks like the, the worst is going to unfold. And ultimately, that means higher inflation down the road um, and more problems. And ultimately, like I say, the central bank governor may have saved his job for now, but I'm confident that when inflation does start to rise again, um, and becomes an, a, another economic issue uh, and, and the central banks forced to intervene in the market, etc., that he will very much be thrown overboard quite quickly and will be on to yet another, uh, yet another governor. So this is something that we've seen before. And unless they get extremely lucky uh, on the inflation outlook, it could get quite nasty. And what of the ECB and the Fed uh, next week? Um, are there issues relating to these worries about uh, raising rates or otherwise? So the ECB will meet next week. We're not going to get too much from the ECB, I wouldn't have thought, just because they released their economic projections in December, so it's every quarter. So the next one is in December. The the pandemic emergency purchase program the kind of the pandemic related version of the asset purchase program is due to expire in um in march they they're not expected to use the full envelope that they'd set aside for that that is expected to be allowed to expire but depending on what the data says depending on how the economy is performing what the inflation projections are i mean the 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 euro area is also running inflation above their 2% target, but they're expecting it to come back well below their target. And therefore, you can, I, I think they'll continue to offer this stimulus. So what they'll do is the, the, the current consensus view is that they'll effectively increase their asset purchase program when the, the PEP program uh, draws to a close. But we're not going to get really any information on that until December when they have a much better idea of what their projections um, are. Uh, so that's, that's the ECB next week. And then the Fed... Uh, the week after, that is where we uh, are going to find out, well, it seems almost nailed on that they are going to taper. We've heard from Jerome Powell um, at the time of recording suggesting that it, it's not the time to raise interest rates, but it is the time to taper their asset purchases. So their asset purchases will start to be unwound. I think it's $120 billion, $80 billion of uh, of bonds, uh, 40 of uh, asset, uh, of of um, uh mortgage-backed securities so they'll wind them down over the course of eight months um, uh, and bring them to a close in the middle of next year so that announcement is expected next 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 in two weeks it's not that that we're interested in no though as far as the feds it's when they're going to start to raise interest rates the market pricing in a rate hike later next year uh, and it's what's interesting is that they are kind of going to be late to the game on that, which is unusual. Usually they're very much ahead. But you look at the Bank of England, they're expected to raise interest rates four times by then. Um, and there's even starting to talk about maybe the ECB will even look to do so as start to raise rates as well. So the inter the central banks are clearly in agreement on this. They believe it's temporary, but they're not sure that they can take the risk, everyone apart from obviously the CBRT. And I'm sure we'll learn more about this now again over the course of the next couple of weeks. Inflation, it's not here to stay forever, but it probably is here to stay for the next six to 12 months. And that puts central banks in a really difficult position when you've got sluggish growth and the economy hasn't fully recovered, but you have high inflation. You're between a rock and a hard place. And it seems that the, the decision from these central banks is we can afford to raise rates gradually 
um, and hope that that's enough and that the supply side inflation doesn't become demand side inflation so that so supply chain issues don't filter through into higher wages and higher wage demands and higher inflation expectations and higher prices um, uh, and hopefully it will find a good balance by the middle to end of next year. Okay, before we look at the rest of uh, next week's uh, news to come, uh, one word on the Evergrande story and perhaps against expectations they've made that payment ahead of the grace period which was due to end tomorrow. Yes they have um, which came as a bit of a surprise because they'd been so quiet on this over the course of the last month they'd made other payments to domestic uh, bondholders and to domestic creditors but they hadn't even really commented on the offshore payment that was actually due almost 30 days ago the end of the grace period was tomorrow. So this payment kind of came out the blue, but they've made the full payment and um, and that's going to come as a relief to the markets. It's in the share price of Evergrande rally, I think 7% um, in Hong Kong overnight. So that was $83.5 million. That payment's been now made, but they owe another $47.5 million next week and there's still more after that. It's an encouraging sign that they've scraped together the funds to do so. They've been put under a lot of pressure by the Chinese authorities to make their payments to domestic holders to continue the projects and not let them run stale and then also to make payments to uh, offshore holders as well. Obviously, you can see offshore holders of debt are very much at the bottom of that list, but the grace period allows them to take a little bit longer to do that. So the, the early signs are promising, but whether they can continue to scrape together these funds forever without greater action is another thing entirely. So a positive first step, it's put investors' minds at ease, but the longer this goes on, the more we need to find a, the, the company needs to find a more sustainable solution and the collapse of the sale of their property services industry or company, or at least uh, a 51% sale, the collapse of that earlier this week was a big setback as far as those efforts are concerned. Okay, we've already mentioned briefly the ECB and the Fed for next week. What else stands out as far as the next seven days or so is concerned? Yeah, I mean, it's relatively quiet in terms of big economic data releases. We've got things like Bank of Canada uh, on Wednesday. We've got US inflation uh, late next week. So I think that's going to be a real interesting one. And the other thing I think to follow that everyone is following right now is Bitcoin. And I know we like to talk about it on here occasionally. But the the launch of the um, ProShares ETF put a lot of focus on it this week. Hit the price of Bitcoin, then hit a record high shortly after. We seem to have seen a bit of profit taking after that. Um, we, so we've seen it pull back five percent yesterday, and it's pulling back a little bit further today uh, from those new record high levels. Maybe a bit of a buy the rumor, sell the fact. Although it came up with a bit of a delay. Um, some people may remember the four years ago following the launch of the first um, futures. Uh, Bitcoin futures uh, market that the price after the launch of the CME uh, uh, future the price fell quite considerably initially we saw profit taking and kind of buy the rumor sell the fact but that developed into that then evolved into a, a full-on Bitcoin price crash I'm not saying the two were necessarily linked, uh, but the, the, the launch of the, the futures did actually coincide with the peak for a few years. Um, I don't think we'll see that this time around. There's a lot more interest. The landscape has evolved quite considerably throughout that time. Um, but I think there is going to be um, a lot of focus still on Bitcoin following those new highs and the launch of that first ETF, which is a, a landmark moment for the crypto industry. Craig, enjoy your weekend and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.